take hold of us. That we would belong to you. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, who is a Danish philosopher, uh, once compared evaluating the truth of Christianity to walking through an art gallery. And I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit and build a little bit on what he had to say. Um, he said that when you, well, when you're evaluating truth, it's like walking through an art gallery and you see lots of different paintings and lots of different sort of truth all around you. And uh, there are all sorts of people wandering around evaluating all these things. And all of a sudden you stop before a particularly striking work of art and the longer you look at it, the more interesting it, it becomes, and the more you start to realize that there's something very odd about this particular work of art, as though it's actually looking at you. And the longer you look at it, and the more you contemplate, the more you realize it actually is looking at you, and that you're looking out through the frame into the only reality that there actually is, and that it's created you and everything around you. The only true reality there is, that's, that's what evaluating the truth of Christianity is like, realizing that you're actually the one being evaluated. Uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 28. And we're continuing in a series through the Gospel of John uh, that uh, we're calling On Target, and we are rapidly approaching the bullseye this week. John 18, and we're going to be at verse 28. And we don't put the words behind me for a reason. We want you to actually open Bibles. John 18, 28. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you this about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is truth? That is a good question. One that I like it lives in the Bible and sort of hangs over this whole episode. The way you answer that question, what is truth, in a large part, depends on where you stand. And Pilate is standing on some extraordinarily shaky ground. 
you may not know this, there were ancient historians that wrote at the time of Jesus that are not in the Bible. Um, I'm thinking of guys like Philo and Josephus, who I was reading this week, and they have a lot to say about Pontius Pilate. They did not like him. He was not a very nice man. And uh, Pilate was apparently an Italian military man turned political appointee. He became the prefect of Judea, which for our purposes would be like the mayor meets the governor meets the chief of police, all of those things together. And he was not a diplomatic man. His only real tool was brute force. And early on in his tenure, when he moved in Jerusalem, he brought with him some statues of Caesar. And he brought them in mostly to, you know, as kind of a gift to the people and also to honor his boss, the emperor, and to let everybody know just who was in charge. He brought graven images of a man who claimed to be God and rule the world into the city of Jerusalem. There was a riot. Pretty nasty, ugly riot, and Pilate was really angry and planned to kill everybody and threatened to kill all the leaders and all the people involved in the riot. And the people laid down on the ground and bared their necks to make it easier to cut off their heads. So Pilate was a little surprised by that because that's not usually what happens when you threaten to kill people. And he wasn't bluffing, but turns out they called his bluff. And so he backed down and got the statues out of Jerusalem. A little while later he took some extra temple funds to build an aqueduct, which is kind of like a public works project, sort of think sewer and water coming near the city. And the Jews, instead of being grateful, at, were furious that he took religious funds and used them on a Roman civic project. There was a riot. Uh, this time, Pilate sent in Roman soldiers to violently put down the thing. A lot of people died. And the leaders of the Jews complained to the Romans and said, this guy just keeps starting riots. And now... These Jewish leaders show up at his house and refuse to come inside because they'll get dirty. Insulting, right? And they wait for him to come to them. Imagine coming to the White House and demanding that the president come out to you because you don't want to get dirty and you have something you want him to do. This is extremely, this is ridiculous what they're doing. So Pilate comes outside and says, what accusation are you bring against this man? And they say, well, I mean, we wouldn't bring him here if he hadn't done something wrong. And Pilate goes back inside and is looking at Jesus like the riddle he is, because this is absolutely a trap. He's looking at this man who he knows walked into Jerusalem just a week ago, Palm Sunday, and people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail, King of the Jews. And he knows that if he kills this man, there will be a riot. But if he doesn't kill this man, the leaders of the Jews will be angry, and there may be a riot. But at the very least, they could complain to Caesar. So he's in a real predicament. And he's looking at Jesus saying, what is truth? And the way we answer this question, well, it really depends on where you choose to stand as you read the story. You can be extremely cynical as you look at this story. I think that's an option. Does Pilate care about truth? Do the Jewish leaders care about truth? Could you really just hear that question as truth? What's that? I, like, do, the, do the Jewish leaders really seem like they care about truth? They bring Jesus to Pilate. They know he's committed no crime. They don't even actually accuse him of a crime. Right? What accusation do you bring against this man? I mean, I'm sure you'll find something to kill him for. Right? That's sort of their response. They're really not that concerned about conspiracy to commit murder and using the state to execute a man, but they're extremely picky about walking into the house of a Gentile because that will make them dirty for Passover. God would be really offended if we walked into this guy's house 
that would upset God. We can kill this guy, that's fine, but, but God's going to be really upset if we violate this particular ritual thing. Pontius Pilate. Looks like he cares about truth, kind of. But at the end of the passage we just read, he says, I find no case against this man. At which point he could say, so he can go free, and he can let him leave. Pilate is absolutely in charge. And instead, he looks at the people and says, so what do you want me to do? Like, do you guys want me to let him go? Or There's apparently this other guy in prison who we know has committed a crime, and they want him. And that's what's going to continue on through chapter 19. Pilate's going to continue to wrangle with the idea that he is sure Jesus is innocent. But he just doesn't care. What is truth? Who cares? Jesus, are you so naive that you actually believe that anybody cares about truth in this story right now? Your life hangs by a thread. This is not about justice. This is about living or dying. And you're still talking about religious things? You're still talking about spirituality? You still care about this stuff that you've been talking about? Only you care about this in this moment. And you and I, we live in a fairly cynical time. I think we can look around at our world that supposedly in our society has a lot of Christians where you can buy license plates that say things like, live the golden rule, which is referring to some words of Jesus where he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I see those license plates. I don't see the people driving with them particularly well. And it doesn't have to get too much farther out when we start looking at, let's say, police departments that seem very concerned with their own reputation in the wake of a shooting, but not necessarily with justice. Or with minority communities that seem very concerned about police shootings, but only in situations where there seems to be a particular kind of injustice or prominent actors that see injustice in our system and then lie in order to expose that injustice and then ironically end up being set free, exposing an injustice by being the recipient of good things in the process. And so you and I, we read this book and we say, I live in the real world, Jesus. Like, I live in the real world. Like, who cares about truth right now? Yeah, the Bible says stuff about, you know, giving God a seventh of my time and a tenth of my money and caring about what I say to people and how I treat other people, but, you know, who can really live like that? Yeah, the Bible cares about my sexuality, but, you know, who can really live like that? Yeah, you're, I love my enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. If that, I'm going to get taken advantage of. Like, who cares about truth in this story? There was a social psychologist uh, named Festinger um, back in the 50s who talked a lot about something called cognitive dissonance, and he revolutionized the idea of... Um, well, social psychology, there were particular things he tinkered with, as well as certain things in economics and a couple other places. Uh, basically, the idea that human beings are not always interested in the thing that's really true. Uh, that what we care about, actually, is what's true, but also some other things. And so we're able to hold two kind of contradictory ideas in our heads at times. And people who smoke can say things like, well, smoking is bad for me. Smoking is expensive. Smoking kills people. Smoking is unpopular. But it's not that expensive. It's not that bad for me. I'm not that unpopular, and it's probably not going to kill me. People get really creative with the way that they can deal with cognitive dissonance. Jesus here in this story is talking about truth, the kind of truth that sort of transcends how we feel in any given moment, the kind of truth that actually can make a claim on our lives. And you and I are people who live in this world and talk about Jesus. So the question is whether or not we really care about Jesus all of the time, or whether that's just a cute thing that belongs on Sunday mornings. 
And there's a cure for this as we continue on through the story and find another place to stand. But there might be a really cynical reading of Pilate's question. I think there's another sympathetic reading that you can look at Pilate's conversation with Jesus as though he actually cares about truth, which I think is possible. Jesus seems to treat this the way Jesus treats every other conversation in the Gospel of John. He's on trial. Are you the king of the Jews? It's a very important question. If Jesus says yes, Pilate can kill him and walk away from the whole situation with clean hands. And Jesus responds the way we expect him to if we've been reading John, which is, I mean, are you asking for you or for a friend? Like, how much do you really want to know about me? Would you like to become a disciple of Jesus in this moment? Jesus sees the trial where he knows he's going to be executed as an opportunity to invite Pilate into a relationship, which is fascinating. And Pilate fires back, well, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own people handed you over to me. What did you do? And Jesus says, well, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, yeah, you'd have a riot to worry about. My kingdom, as it is, is not from this world. And those who listen to the truth, those who care about truth, those who belong to the truth, they listen to my voice. Pilate might really be seeking some truth here. The early church, when they read this story, lots of ancient church fathers, when they talk about this and they preach sermons on it, they see in Pilate someone who really wants to find the truth, but cares a lot about what the world thinks. And so the truth sort of gets choked out of him. That's how they'd say it. But, but he's really seeking the truth. He genuinely wants to know some things about Jesus. He sees this as an opportunity where he can finally ask this Jewish religious teacher some of the things that have burning in him, been burning in him as he's been hearing about the life and the ministry of Jesus. There may be chunks of this conversation that don't make it into Scripture. And so we're left with this question, what is truth, so that we can kind of wrangle with that as we look at Pilate. Pilate may really want to know some things from Jesus. And there are lots of folks, I think, who look at Jesus as somebody you can ask really good questions of. Like, what is truth? What's the nature of truth? What's the nature of reality? And who am I really? And, and how should I live my life? And Jesus becomes this really interesting philosophical and moral teacher. And there's great stuff to be learned from Jesus in that regard. You can get lots out of Jesus in that way. But as long as you're evaluating Jesus from this kind of cold distance, sort of abstractly and intellectually, you'll miss out on something crucial. Because truth is not something that you can appreciate from a distance. Truth is something that requires, well, love, actually. Truth is something that requires being up close and personal. That's the difference between truth and facts. Because facts are things that are true but require context. Truth is something that requires a greater picture. And I have a friend who's a, she's a gifted pastor and an evangelist. And some of you have met her, actually. And she likes to talk about evangelism and talking to people about Jesus and what does it mean to really start following Jesus uh, with a, a different way. Um, she would say that some folks like to think of it as Christian or not Christian, or in or out. And I like to think of it as sort of this sliding scale or a continuum. Um, these are some of the stages she's got along the way. Um, and they're all blurry, because apparently I chose the wrong picture. But uh, <laughs> she says that the first stage really is uh, trust, um, learning to trust a Christian. That's the step for most people who want to become Christians. Is there any Christian that you like or trust? And you might think, that's so easy. I know so many Christians that I like and trust. Non-Christians don't know a lot of Christians they like and trust. Uh, there's actually quite a few of us that are turds out there in the world. And so finding a couple of good ones is a huge thing, huge thing on your road to maybe deciding if you like to follow Jesus. And maybe you're here, and it's because there's some Christians you trust. And I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, people move from trust maybe to curiosity, wanting to know what it is that Christians believe. Genuinely wanting to know. And the problem for a lot of evangelists, she would say, is that they confuse curiosity with being open to change. 
I want to know all sorts of things about Islam. This is me personally. I'm not interested in becoming a Muslim. I'm just genuinely curious. I want to know more. There are lots of people out there in the world who would love to know more about Christianity and what we say about Jesus. That doesn't mean they want to become Christians. It requires an openness to change, a willingness maybe, to get closer to Jesus than just sort of reading some books about him from time to time. And so the difference between curiosity and seeking is really that openness to change, being willingness, of being willing to get closer to Jesus, truly seeking. She would say that that fourth stage is maybe the shortest. So for a lot of people, they either become followers of Jesus or they kind of lapse back and stick with curiosity because that's safer. And as I have started looking at friends of mine who talk about Jesus and friends of mine who would say they're atheists or friends of mine who would say that they, they believe other things, even friends of mine who are Christians, honestly, I, I found this to be really helpful because I've realized that it doesn't make sense to try and convince somebody to follow Jesus if they don't trust me yet. And I've realized it doesn't make a ton of sense to try and convince someone to be open to change. I can't do that. They have to decide that they're open to change or not. But I found this to be a really useful tool in talking to folks about Jesus. And yet, I would say along the way to these friends of mine that you can't stay a seeker forever. And you might be here and you might have been curious about Christianity for a long time and you might feel like you're just sort of on the fence and not sure because there's something about Jesus you love, but the idea of following Jesus is... You understand there's going to be a cost to that. And all I can tell you is that sitting on a fence is a really uncomfortable thing, literally and metaphorically. You can't stay sitting on a fence forever. It's just, it's unpleasant for far too long. There was this terrible documentary I watched a little while ago, and it was produced in 2010. It was called The Nature of Existence, and I had high hopes. I was like, this is going to be really good. And instead, it was just sort of a very postmodern look at the nature of existence. They just had quotes from lots of people slammed together for two hours of my life. And it was just lots of different opinions, and there was no narrative and no coherence. It was just, this is what this guy thinks, and this is what this guy thinks, and this is what this guy thinks, and it's exhausting. And eventually, there was this 12-year-old girl, and they quoted her, and she was incredible, uh, because she managed to, I think, um, critique the movie accidentally, and then also offer some real wisdom. At 12-year-old girl, and she said this, truth is something I think we're all looking for, isn't it? But sometimes, seeking is more fun than finding. Sometimes we would prefer to stay seekers forever. And that is not an option. Pilate does not get that option in this story. Nobody, actually, in the Gospel of John has gotten that opportunity. You cannot stay neutral on Jesus. You're going to be forced at some point to make a decision. Ben Witherington is commentary on the Gospel of John in this section of it. He says this, Throughout this Gospel, we have seen a wide variety of people who may in some sense be called truth seekers. They come to Jesus by night or day, looking for answers and receive responses that often make them very uncomfortable. The problem with truth seeking is that we may find out things about ourselves and others that make us uneasy, or that may even require of us significant change. So often when people ask the question, what is truth? They are not serious about the question, or they are looking for a truth that they can swallow easily, that will not require them to change their life or their lifestyle. If Pilate was really interested in truth at all, it was only the comfortable sort of truth that he was likely to embrace. I think that the trouble is that um, Einstein changed the world. The theory of relativity, you all might know a little bit about this, but really, really fast, simple version. You're watching a guy come by on a train, and it's moving really, really fast. And it's going this way. But if you're on the train, you're not moving, 
and the guy on the ground is moving really, really fast this way. This is the theory of relativity. The problem is you need an objective observer. And it's impossible to find an objective place to stand. This was Einstein's thing about physics. But that kind of entered the world of philosophy and moral theory, and people began to say, well, it's impossible to find an objective place to stand. Truth becomes this really relative thing. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. What's wrong for me might be right for you. And that leads us to this sort of confused place where we believe maybe that there is such a thing as truth, but nobody can find it. Truth exists, we just can't find it. We can never get there. And it becomes this exhausting thing where maybe you don't want to seek forever, but you feel like you have to because who could ever tell me the truth? Who would ever find themselves in that objective place? The thing that Jesus claims here is that he has the truth. And the thing that we would say as people who follow Jesus is that Jesus has the truth, the truth, that there is one objective person who stands in an objective place, and it's Jesus. It's not me. All I've found is Jesus. I make no claim on the truth, but Jesus absolutely does. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, we've heard him say all sorts of interesting things, like I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other places, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And here, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, he says, look, my kingdom is not from this world. If it were, you'd have a problem. But my kingdom is not from this world. And those who belong to the truth, they listen to my voice. See, Jesus wants us to belong to the truth. That's a really important thing. When you find Jesus, it's not so much that you found the truth as much as the truth has found you against all odds. It's not that you sort of possess the truth and you've taken power over it. It's that the truth has taken power over you that you belong to the truth. It's not that the truth belongs to you. And so those of us who follow Jesus, we don't claim that Jesus is ours. We say that we are his. Those who belong to the truth, that's what Jesus is talking about, will listen to my voice. For this I came into the world, he says. People would badly misunderstand me, but anyone who's interested in hearing what I have to say will find the truth. And to believe that Jesus stands in that position really does make a claim on our lives. There's a theologian I really like named R.R. Reno who says that we've done a really good job in schools teaching people to think critically. We teach people how to find bad ideas and to sort of identify them and say, this is why this is a bad idea, which is a lot like teaching people to use a bulldozer to clear the landscape of really bad ideas. That's great. The problem is that you can't drive a bulldozer forever. The whole point of driving the bulldozer in the first place, of identifying bad ideas, was that we might actually have some good ideas. He says, we need to start teaching people not just to think critically, but to think constructively, to choose to commit to something and build something, maybe imperfect, maybe flawed, to know that someday along the way, somebody's going to come along and say, well, that never should have been there, and I need to tear this part of it down. He says, the, the thing is, if you take people to a train station and you teach them they, they shouldn't get on the wrong train, and you teach them how to identify the wrong train, that's good. But the goal of going to the train station was to get on a train, was to go somewhere was to commit to something. See, the trouble with Christianity a lot of the time, the trouble with following Jesus a lot of the time, is really deciding, deciding to hand your life over to him. To decide that he has the truth and that I don't. And so when I read the Bible, I say, this is my book, and there are things I don't like, and there are things I disagree with, and there are things that make me have lots of questions. But I keep coming back to this book because this is my book. And there are things about this God that I'm really curious about and that make me uncomfortable and that sort of offend me along the way. But I don't want to be in this position of constantly evaluating God. I want to be obedient. I want to belong to the truth. 
So I've taken this position in my life that well, the church would call discipleship, somebody who follows Jesus, not somebody who leads and says, Jesus, you should come this way. This is the way that I'm going. I would like for you to sort of affirm the truth that I've chosen in life. Instead, of say, Jesus, which way are you going? That's, that's the way that I want to go. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, where he sort of talks about different evil ideas and how to sort of stop Christians from being Christians. And he, he sort of has demons doing this work in the course of the story. One of the moves that the demons make, uh, he says, you know what you should do is have people go to church. This is the move, which is really counterintuitive. Have people go to church. Have them try lots of churches. Have them try church after church after church after church and Bible study after Bible study and idea after idea and book after book. Keep them in a place of being a connoisseur. Keep them in a place of evaluating. What did you think about this sermon? What did you think about that building? What did you think about these people? What did you think about that song? What did you think about those worshipers? What do you think about that truth? What do you think about this truth? What do you think about that truth? See, Pilate stays in this place of distance, right? evaluating truth. And as a result, he misses out on Jesus. That's my angle on Pilate, that he misses out on Jesus. But we don't have to. We can read this story and not say, yeah, what is truth? I want to read a lot of books on that subject. But rather to say, you know, I think that there's something about Jesus that's worth committing to. Something about Jesus that's worth belonging to. I'm going to listen to his voice. Because I believe that he's standing somewhere solid and safe and secure, and I am not. And so I want to be with Jesus. Because I've begun to realize that I'm not evaluating the truth of Christianity so much as it's evaluating me. See, Jesus in this story acts like he's the judge, which is bizarre. Acts like he's the one in charge of the entire conversation which is bizarre, acts like he's the one with all the power, acts like he's the one with all the truth, acts like his opinion of Pilate is the one that matters. Now, either he's a crazy person or he's right. He's got the truth, the only truth that really matters. And I want to belong to that, and I invite you to belong to that with me, to listen to the voice of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask we ask that the truth really would set us free and that we would avoid the trap that 2 Timothy talks about of always seeking and never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. And God, we know that we have doubts and we know that we've got questions and we know that we don't really know what to do most of the time. But our eyes are on you and we want to trust you. And we pray, God, that maybe if we're in a place of curiosity that that would be okay but that we would recognize that at some point we might have to be open to change. And God, if we've been following you for a long time, I pray that you would reveal those areas in our lives where we're really proud and hard-hearted, where we have no interest in change, that we're just curious about truth but have no interest in hearing what it has to say in our lives. We pray, God, that you would take control of us the way you did so long ago at the cross, not in a coercive way, but as a shepherd takes control of a sheep, to guide them and protect them and lead them. We belong to you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.